Well, hello, friends. Uh, welcome to our teaching time today, and welcome into this online space together. Uh, my name is Brady, and I'm part of our staff team here at Jericho Ridge. And as we start our teaching time together this morning, I want you to do me a favor. Think of a time that you felt like you had to do something that seemed extraordinarily difficult or impossible to do. For many parents, it could be when you have your first child and you have no idea how to care and raise them. It could be in your finances, where it seems nearly impossible to put food on the table for your family or even make rent each month. Or as a student, uh, it could be walking into a test or an exam with absolutely no confidence that you're gonna pass. I know I've definitely been there before, though I'm probably not gonna tell you how that turned out. Today, we're gonna see a conversation uh, between Esther and her uncle, Mordecai, as they try to navigate the impossible themselves. And really at the crux of the issue for them is how do we know God is calling us into a space and how do we respond to that calling? And as we go through our text today, I really want us to understand both Esther and Mordecai's perspective throughout this conversation, and hopefully come to the realization that both play an essential role in this story. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's have a bit of a quick refresher on where we are in the story. The book of Esther takes place in about 500 BC in the Persian Empire, with King Xerxes as its current ruler. Just recently, uh, Esther became queen under King Xerxes in Esther chapter 2. We also have Mordecai, Esther's uncle. Mordecai is the one that encouraged Esther to become queen in the first place. And just last week, we saw with Pastor Brad that Mordecai in chapter 3 refused to bow down to the stories being antagonist Haman. And out of vengeance, Haman convinced and bribed the king that all of the Jews, including Mordecai, were to be slaughtered in 11th month's time. So that's where we pick up today in Esther chapter 4 together. Mordecai, who is now processing and mourning after finding out about the impending genocide that Haman orchestrated last week in chapter 3. So let's read together in Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm going to be re reading in the New Living Translation. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. This practice of mourning and burlap publicly was quite common in Old Testament times. Burlap, or otherwise called sackcloth, is typically this coarse shirt or gown made out of goat hair and is traditionally used to indicate mourning. So it's not incredibly uncommon to see this during this time, uh, although it definitely is a cause of concern for Esther, as we're going to see here in verse 4. We see she's immediately distressed, and when she hears about Mordecai, yet she doesn't know the source of it. Naturally, Esther wants to know why her uncle is in such distress, because, but because she can't see him, uh, he's not adequately dressed to get into the king's palace. So she sends one of her maids to bring Mordecai clothes. It seems like a logical solution. If you're not wearing the correct attire to get into the palace, give him the attire and then you can meet. Uh, but for some reason, Mordecai doesn't want to change out of the burlap. And the writer here doesn't explain why Mordecai refuses to clothes. So we're really left to wonder that much. 
uh, but it does really show Esther and Mordecai's relationship is really growing further apart now that Esther lives in the palace and Mordecai on the outside. This sets the scene now for this conversation that's going to play out between Esther and Mordecai, uh, but it's going to go through a middleman, Hathak, who is one of Esther's servants. Mordecai then goes on to tell Esther the whole situation of Haman threatening to kill all of the Jews in the Persian Empire in 11 months. And he continues to tell Esther he must go to King Xerxes and beg for mercy and plead for her people, seen in verse 8. Notice the power dynamic in this conversation, friends. Throughout the book so far, we've seen Mordecai calling all of the shots, not Esther. He was the one who wanted to make Esther queen. He told Esther to keep her Jewish background a secret and so on. So here again in this chapter, we see Mordecai trying to control Esther's actions even from afar. And Esther, as we see in the text in verse 11, is a very pragmatic one. She says this, all of the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. We see here in the text that Esther is not jumping at the chance to follow Mordecai's instructions. And for the first time in this story, Esther wants to really take her own autonomy back and question Mordecai's instructions. I also want us to kind of think of the social realities at this time within the Persian Empire. While Esther may be married to King Xerxes, they don't really have any sort of equal partnership. Instead, King Xerxes probably does not think of Esther as much more as a status symbol at best and a sex object at worst. As we know, King Xerxes holds zero reservations about banishing his queens, as he did in Esther chapter 1 with Queen Vashti. Okay, so let's hear Mordecai's response to Esther's warning in verses 13 and 14. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you're made for queen for such a time as this. Deborah Reed in her commentary really breaks Mordecai's jam-packed response into three elements for us. First, Mordecai is highlighting that as a Jew herself, Esther is in as much danger as the rest of her family. Secondly, the Jews are going to be saved with or without Esther. And we can really see that Mordecai's faith in God is really apparent here, though it's never explicitly mentioned. And lastly, Mordecai really threatens that Esther's life purpose here is at stake, that maybe she has become queen just for a time as this. Again, Mordecai's faith here is so clear without mentioning God himself. He continues to be confident that God's people will be saved, even if his own family dies at Haman's hands. Mordecai, however, is also confident that his niece's role to deliver the Jews is in this moment now. And at the end of chapter 4, we see Esther ultimately agree with Mordecai. 
she decides that she must risk her own life in an attempt to save the Jewish people of Susa. But what does she do first, friends? She instructs Mordecai and the Jews in verse 16 to go fast and pray alongside her for three days. Fasting is something we do at times to eliminate something from our lives for a period of time and replace it with time to connect with God. In this case, Esther tells her people to fast from food and drink, which is probably the most common type of fasting in Old Testament times. I really want us to notice the shift here uh, in Esther and Mordecai's relationship. Mordecai is no longer calling the shots. It's now Esther at the helm, and her first action is to refocus herself and her people back towards God and invite the Holy Spirit in to guide and counsel her people before she risks her life for the Jews. Gary Smith says this, Esther accepted Mordecai's reasoning but she still needed the spiritual support from her people. And lastly, Esther ends off the chapter with the famous phrase of, if I must die, I must die. Or seen in other translations such as the NIV, if I perish, I perish. While this may seem a tad bit fatalistic on Esther's part, it truly is the opposite. This language is indicative of Esther's commitment to fulfilling God's calling for her life. It also shows both Esther's courage and fear. And no, those two descriptors are not opposite or clashing of one another. For courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. I would like to pause here for a moment and ask you to recall that memory of yours that we talked about at the beginning of our teaching time together. An experience that seemed extraordinarily difficult or impossible to do. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as Esther's story, but we've all been there, friends. For example, I could say that trying to preach a sermon at my church with no Bible college experience is an extraordinary, extraordinary task, friends. That's just a random example, though. I hope you still have that example in your mind, because now I want you to ask yourself, were you fearful throughout that experience? And I'm probably gonna go ahead and answer for you and say you had some level of fear or anxiety throughout that. But also, did you still face that challenge? And where was God throughout that entire experience? Friends, I promise you God was alongside you and the Holy Spirit was within you throughout that whole process. While in times of fear, God can feel so distant and hard to reach out to, but he's also there cheering you on, always. Particularly in the book of Esther, God is seemingly always absent, and yet we have said over and over and over again throughout this whole series that he truly is working in the ancient Persian Empire, just as he is working today as well. The classic question for any follower of Jesus is this, is God truly working right now in our community? And what's God's plan for my life? Friends, searching these questions can be incredibly hard and tiring work, but God unfortunately does not just email us a roadmap for our, his plan for our life. Instead, he's gonna reveal it to us in real time. Just two weeks ago here at Jericho Center, we held a grad celebration for some of our high school and university graduates. 
And a question I'm sure they've all faced or are still facing is, God, what next? What are you calling me to do in the rest of my life? And I confidently know that they've struggled with that as a current university student myself going into his final year at Trinity Western University. Almost daily, I grapple with the question, God, what do you have next for me? I was originally planning on becoming a high school social studies teacher. Until last year, I really felt that that was not what God was calling me into. Now, instead, I'm finishing up a degree in international studies or international affairs and global policy. And I promise you, it's really fun. You just really need to be a nerd like me to really enjoy it. For nearly 18 months now, I've been working here at Jericho Ridge as our digital ministry director. And the concept of me maybe working in ministry as a career has definitely begun to, begun to take root. Friends, I promise you I'm not even close to figuring out where to go right now or next. And I invite you to pray into that with me over the coming year. And this is really what God calls us to do. When we are lost and unsure what to do, we just need to pause and pray. And Esther models this quite well for us at the end of Esther chapter four. Esther doesn't know what's next or what she's being called out to do. She is scared and confused, just as like any of us would be. And as we saw her and her people, they all fasted and prayed together for three days. And friends, this isn't, doesn't have to be an Old Testament practice that we just disregard and say, oh, that was for ancient times. It can be a simple and very helpful tool that we use today. Earlier back in June, I really felt God calling and stirring a lot of these questions in me of what my future looked like. And I just felt like I needed to pause and pray with God. So that's what I did. I took two and a half days where all I did was rest and pray. There was no people, no work, no school, just the time being with God. And you're probably thinking, wow, Brady, that sounds incredibly boring. And why would you want that? And you'll be surprised how quickly these two and a half days went by. Honestly, I thought the same going into, the, into it too, but creating a space like this does not have to be uber religious thing where you're on your knees just praying for eight hours in an empty room. It can be really as simple as saying, God, I devote this weekend, this morning, this hour to you, to be with you, to pray to you, and to listen to you. And don't hear what I'm not saying. You're not gonna solve all of your problems or all the world's problems throughout this process. I certainly didn't during my time away. But your trust and your faith in Christ will continue to grow. And during my time away for those two or so days with God, I came up with the illustration that I'm stuck in the fog. What is God calling me to do uh, in my career, in my education, in my own relationships? And notice here that I'm not saying that I'm lost in the fog, but just simply in the thick of that fog right now. And honestly, that comfort has largely come from my time in prayer and talking things out with my family and my friends. 
having someone alongside you to just listen to you and speak into you can just be an awfully powerful thing, friends. And maybe you're feeling a bit lost in the fog yourself right now and can't really see what God is calling you into. If that's you, I would encourage you to reach out. I would love to hear where you are in your life journey. And we also have an incredible pastoral team here at Jericho that would love to walk alongside you as well. There are other incredible resources out there, like maybe a spiritual director that can really help you identify where God is actively working in your life. Or maybe you've been struggling with a trauma in your life and a counselor can really step into that and help you and work at healing from that experience. Before we finish our teaching time uh, today, I think it would be wise if we kind of tried to look at this interaction from Mordecai's shoes for a little bit. Uh, and kind of going through this passage and praying on it, it really struck me how Mordecai's role in this story truly is. At the end of the day, without Mordecai, Esther would not have been aware of Haman's plans of genocide, nor have the courage to act on it. Mordecai truly orchestrates her future engagement with King Erxes. It's a bit of a spoiler, I know, but it's coming, I promise. This often gets missed as we always focus on the hero, hero of the story, Esther. Mordecai, as well throughout Esther 4, displays an incredible amount of faith and courage himself, and I would say as equal to Esther. We saw his faithfulness of God over the protection of the Jews in verse 14, and his courage to even go to the palace gates and alert Queen Esther to what was happening in the spirit in the city took incredible courage itself. In contrast to Esther's task at hand, Mordecai's actions may seem minuscule, but rest assured friends, God was calling Mordecai into that action, just like he was calling Esther into that action as well. And that applies for you and I as well today. It's so easy to see all the extraordinary, extraordinary things happening out in the world. I think of the continued uh, discovery of unmarked graves left behind at residential schools for Indigenous students, or the continuing fight against systemic racism throughout the world. But massively intimidating topics such as those should really not distract us from listening to what God is calling us to do, nor should it dis diminish the good works that we do on a regular basis. At the end of the day, friends, not all of us are going to be the Esthers in the world. We're not gonna all be leading the charge and risking our lives. It's just not gonna happen. Could you imagine us doing worship on one Sunday where all of our worship leaders are trying to be the main vocalists at once? Just four people up there all trying to lead, singing their hearts out. If you don't know much about worship music, I'll tell you this, it's not gonna be a great time and you would probably need to leave the room because you're gonna have a massive headache. That's why we always have one worship leader uh, and a couple of people singing behind them to support them in harmonies. And the reality is God is more often calling us to sing harmonies like Mordecai. And that's more than okay, that needs to be celebrated and appreciated. We need Mordecai's in the world and more importantly, our Esthers are going to need Mordecai's to support them and to ground them. In God's providence, each person has a unique task and that those tasks are equally as valuable 
to the body of Christ. And the completion of those tasks is an act of worship to God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brady, how does one act like Mordecai? And I'm going to tell you with two questions. First, who is God putting on my heart and why? Maybe at the dinner table tonight, you just talk about it with your partner or reflect inwardly. Who in your life may be going through the fog? And during this process, try and hold a listening prostor towards God. Ask him, Lord, how are you calling me to serve and support this person in this time? And it truly can be as simple as asking someone how they're doing right now or pointing out something that you see in them that could really be God calling them into a space. I know for me, this has been so impactful and is really why I'm on your screen right now sharing a message. A few months ago at work, I was chatting with our children's pastor, Pastor Jenna, just about work stuff. And it eventually came to a place in the conversation where she said she'd love to hear me deliver a message on a Sunday morning one day. Now, Admittedly, at the time, I really played it off, saying I would never be able or willing to do that. But friends, Jenna in that case really started such a strong stirring in my heart that God really did not let me ignore. And well, now I'm here. So thank you, Jenna, uh, for really speaking into my life. And I know you continue to speak into the lives of so many families and individuals within our church community and know that we appreciate you so much here. Now, the second question I think we should ask ourselves when wanting to kind of resemble Mordecai is ask, how can I serve my church or my community, my school? And this honestly doesn't have to be a huge thing, but can just start by serving your neighbor well. Good examples of this would be our kids at the Ridge volunteers at Sunday mornings who create a safe and loving space for them to explore themselves, their faith, and so much more. Or just recently, we saw the devastating crisis in Lytton, BC, and we saw massive food drives and crisis response carried out by our fellow, fellow British Columbians. For example, one of our younger members here at Jericho Grace held a lemonade stand to raise money for Lytton relief. Or we see Liz and Larry went to Katsi First Nations and helped pack and load up boxes that were headed up to Lytton for crisis support. These members of our church community here are not solving the entire Lighten crisis, but instead serving the, how they feel that they are called to do, similar to Mordecai. He was doing his little part in the massive crisis in the Persian Empire. And Esther had her part to play in a big way, and Mordecai had his in a smaller way. But that's totally okay, and both of those are equally valuable in pursuing God. As you go home today, I would encourage you to think about what is your part to play in our own community and what is God inviting you to do this week? In just a few moments, Jared and the team are going to lead us in a time of responding through song worship. Maybe you're feeling that you're in the fog and are struggling to identify what God is calling you to do next. Then take the lead from Esther and invest some time in praying and fasting to God. Seeking God and asking for God to reveal to you what is your next step. And maybe you do know what your next step is, 
but you're resisting what God has in store for your life out of anxiety or out of fear. And these next two songs are really focusing on surrendering yourself to God's plans and his love. And no matter where you're at, I would just encourage you to bring your whole self before God as we sing together. As always, our pastoral team would love to walk alongside you and pray with you if you'd like. And at any time, I would encourage you to reach out to our prayer team. If you're watching on our online platform, you can just click the request prayer button. Otherwise, you can also always email our prayer team at prayer at jerichoridge.com to really start that conversation with God together. Now let's join the worship team in response, whether it's through prayer or singing. 